Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Hi, Vinny. listeners. Today I have uh, Brian Young. He is the co-founder and CEO of Home Lending Pal. Now, this we talked a little bit before we got on mic. The idea, and you correct me wrong with this, is basically kind of protecting the client so they can kind of get rough ideas of what they could qualify for without a massive amount of calls. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's something, I mean, being in, in the real estate field, something that I hear a lot. I mean, um, there are a couple different platforms. You can put your information out there and it's, you end up getting 20 different lenders reaching out to you. Same thing with, with realtors. You get 20 different realtors reaching out. And uh, people go, oh, why are you calling me? Well, you put your information there. I'm assuming you want some information. So, yeah, this is uh, where did this idea come from for you? Um, I think it was just a natural progression of, to your point, doing lead generation. A, a buddy of mine, Michael Ramsey, asked me to do lead generation originally. And I met my co-founder, Stephen Better, uh, around the same time. And Stephen kind of had this idea, to your point, making it where consumers could get more information up front, which would create a more... Uh, underwritten ready applicant for the lender, but also remove a lot of those friction points that cause the headache of buying a home. And so uh, this is just our natural progression into, you know, how do we get to a point where, you know, consumers can can make something like, you know, buying a home and an Amazon like shopping experience without being bombarded by sales calls. Uh, and that's where we're at now. So how um, I mean, there's a lot of, of personal information that's provided to a lender when you're getting qualified. I mean, you're usually give that information once you feel comfortable, I guess, with the lender. In this situation, you have to be almost be comfortable with the platform. And then if you're comfortable with the platform, the platform is going to guide you to the right lender, right? Yeah. Kind of okay. Yeah. And, and we, we are fortunate to your point that the first thing was data privacy and data protection. Um, and we've been partnered with IBM since 2019. So IBM actually handles pretty much all. Of, well, not pretty much. They do handle all of that for us right now. Uh, which makes it a lot easier for a startup to, to be able to manage that and to, to ensure that consumers data is protected and secured. Uh, and then I think it's also the lender data. You know, we're asking lenders to give us a lot of information about their mortgage overlays up front. And then we're pairing the two together. Uh, so you can imagine that ecosystem and that level of trust that has to be there. And for us, it's about not necessarily steering the, the borrower down a decision path. It's more about giving them the, the ability to make an educated decision based on their current lifestyle, their, their, their credit, their current spending profile, their credit habits, et cetera. How do you protect against, um, and because the rates are, are locked during when you actually get into escrow, right? Yeah. So how do you protect basically a lender saying, we're going to offer you this rate right here, yet the rate could fluctuate once they actually get into contract? So that's kind of our, our the next phase of we're in. So we've been you know doing this public beta for about a year now, and as we have gotten more borrowers on the platform, more lenders have come into the to the mix as well. And we're actually uh, backed by the Mortgage Collaborative now. But to your point, you know our, our artificial intelligence isn't really making a lending decision. What it is doing, it's just, it is identifying issues just like that. Where as we get deeper integrated into the lenders' uh, backend ecosystems, their LOS, their AUS systems. Uh, we're able to point things out like that to the borrower so that the borrower is at least made aware that, hey, you should ask this probing question about the interest rate and make sure you understand why that interest rate is different. So, you know, again, it's a very different 
uh, perspective on fair lending is probably more more borrower centric, which we, we take great pride in. But I don't think anyone else has really looked at it from that perspective of ensuring that the borrower is educated and at least knows uh, the right questions to ask and when to ask those questions. So it's a basically a buddy throughout the process. Yeah, it's it's a pal. <laughs> it's a pal. That that is the overall goal. You know, we we started early early in the process in the research phase, and, and you have to look at where technology in the world is moving these days. You know, you have consumers, millennials, marginalized groups, etc. That you know, back in the day, the first point of touch was really in the research phase, where you know, as you mentioned, you know, I go into a website, I, I fill out a little bit of information, and that's when all of the lenders uh, reach out and touch you. Uh, but now we're in a society with technology and COVID and everything else in which uh, the borrower really doesn't want to be bothered. And so they're to the selection phase, almost in the closing phase where, you know, I know everything that I, I want to do and then I make that decision. And that's really where uh, we've tried to build this platform to allow more data democratization for the consumer to have that data up front before they get to that selection phase, if you will. Now, I mean, this the, the road to growth is all about the entrepreneur's journey, your journey. So walk us through where did you where did you grow up? Did you always have these plans to to build a, a brand? I mean, what's your uh, journey? <laughs> uh, well, I'm a military brat. This this is my fifth company, you know, so it's not my first rodeo. Um, I've had four exits prior, you know, and I, I've been a, a Bloomberg Business Week top 25 under 25 entrepreneur. I've been recognized by Ernst Young and, you know, every national or regional award you could think of. I've probably been in the mix for it and, and even got lucky and won a few. Um, but I, I do think anyone can become an entrepreneur, but I think certain people are, are born to be entrepreneurs where, you know, it's just inherent in you that, you know, you can lead and you can manage people. And I think that, you know, you can be taught how to lead a company in, in, in many ways, but you have to have a, a true passion for what you're trying, the problem you're trying to solve, what you're trying to do, because it is definitely difficult to get up every morning and go to sleep late every night uh, for years on end without, you know, a big salary or anything like that, you know, so. So where, where did that, that passion come from? So you're a military brand. I'm guessing you moved around a lot. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we moved around every three years. You know, I, I, I spent four years in Japan, but I would say the, the original passion probably came from my grandmother. She was, you know, a very feisty, fiery woman uh, that was very entrepreneurial in her own right. And I think that uh, was driven a lot inherently when I was with her, you know, when I, in my earlier years, you know, six, seven years old. Um, and then I think, you know, just being around my my mother and my stepfather, who were both military uh, parents, uh, you kind of get some of the, the discipline, the principles that being in the military and based environment teaches you. Uh, but I will say that, you know, when I was younger, uh, being an entrepreneur coming from a military family was very rebellious. And so, you know, probably there, probably that aspect of, of you know, going against the grain probably uh, encouraged me as well. When uh, so talking about being rebellious, did you did you go to college or did you go to uh, after high school? or What did you do after high school? Uh, so originally after high school, I actually I, I had a trucking company at the time. So I spent six months trying to prepare that company for when I actually went to school full time. My mom was going to force me to go to school full time to continue to run the company. Uh, but most people don't know. I actually started a digital marketing agency when I got to college. So I started my spring semester of 2006. I graduated high school in 2005. And when I got to college in 2006, I started a digital marketing agency after meeting a buddy that was in the uh, the digital marketing demand generation space. Uh, and I ran that for about nine and a half years. I actually ended up selling the trucking company and then moving to that uh, and running that company. But um, 
No, I, I, I dropped out my junior year of college. Uh, the company, the, the digital marketing agency was growing really quickly. Uh, so I ended up dropping out. And then after I went to Marketo, I sold my, my digital marketing agency. I went to Marketo, Marketo got acquired and I thought I was gonna go back to corporate America. Uh, and then I went back and got my college degree uh, from Colorado State University. But, um, you know, it, it, it is what it is there. You, you, you're throwing so many stuff on the radar. So the trucking company, when did, when, how old are you when you started that company? Uh, I was probably 17. Um, I grew it to about 5 million in gross revenue within a year and a half, two years. We had a fleet of about 32 trucks. Um, some of them were owner-operated. About 10 of them were owner-operated. Uh, and uh, my, mom's, my mom got divorced from my stepfather. But then was the guy she was dating at the time, a guy by the name of William Young, was a mortgage broker. And I decided that, you know, why not, why not just uh, utilize our own trucks to, to fill in our, uh, our routes? And so we just kind of kept doing that. And eventually we had, you know, nationwide coverage uh, with our fleet. So, okay. Man, you're, it, it's, it's so nonchalant about all the different things right there. So you're talking about building a truck company at the age of 17. Was it strictly you? How did you start it out? Did you bring other people on? I mean, where did the idea come from? I mean, so many questions that I, that I have. <laughs> um, so originally, I, it was funny. Originally, I wanted to do an ice cream store. Uh, when I got back from Japan, um, I wanted to do an ice cream store, one of my mom's coworkers. But, you know, Cold Stone was around. And most people don't realize when Cold Stone first came, uh, they used to do jingles when you walked in, and that was really something that I wanted to do. Uh, but when they started doing, it, I was like, "There's the ice cream is great, the jingles were great." I was like, "There's no way you can beat that company." Um, and my uncle was a truck driver, and then of course the guy that my mom was dating uh, was a freight broker. So uh, when I couldn't do that, my mom came down. My, my grandmother got really sick, and my mom came down to Fayetteville, North Carolina, from D.C. one weekend, and we drove about an hour. She thought I was going to go buy my first car. Uh, that was around the time LeBron James had bought his mom a, a Hummer, and I kept talking about it, so she thought that's what I was doing. Uh, but we ended up going to a dealership for freight. Uh, and when I got out of the car, the guy came up to my uncle and was like, oh, nice to meet you, Brian. And my uncle was like, I'm not Brian. Brian's still in the car over there. Um, that's how I bought my first truck. My mom was really pissed off about it. But, you know, when we got home, we talked about it. I showed her an entire business plan where, uh, you know, how I wanted to run the company, how I wanted to grow the company. Uh, and we ended up, you know, just buying one truck and then we just kept reinvesting and things were going really well until, you know, the subprime mortgage crisis and all that good stuff happened. And then it wasn't anymore. <laughs> so. At, so at 17, you were putting together a, a business plan was and you just came back from Japan. So was it in the schooling that you got in Japan? Was it from your family or where did you learn like the idea, I guess, of business? Uh, I think I learned the principles of business from my grandmother, but you know, honestly, <laughs> I, I probably should. My mom probably pissed at this, but I used to skip school or skip class and go to the library and teach myself stuff like in wow. books. Um, and I remember being in Japan. There was a small business seminar one time, and I skipped school to go to it. And I was only in like sixth or seventh grade, probably seventh grade, middle school. And I came home. My mom was like. Uh, so how was school today? I was like, oh, you know, school was fine. It was great. You know, I just just learned the normal stuff. She's like, well, what did you learn? Just normal stuff. I didn't know that the at right after I went to the seminar, the lady that was running the seminar was actually a patient of my mom's and she was a dentist. And so she actually just came back to the, she went to go get her teeth cleaned later that day. And she's like, oh, I saw your son today. He's just so brilliant. Yeah, uh, I guess he was on a field trip or something because he was at uh, at our business seminar. Um, my mom was like, no, I'm pretty sure he wasn't on a field trip. And so when I got back, uh, 
that's when she kind of first found out about, you know, me being an entrepreneur. And after that, you know, she started, I won't say she supported it, but because it was something that was keeping me out of trouble, she would get me books and stuff. And I would just read a lot and uh, try to understand, you know, how to run different business principles based on, uh, you know, different people in the in past and history, as well as, you know, business books and stuff like that, uh, that I would, you know, read from, from the library. I know you said your, your grandmother kind of gave you the idea of when you were younger uh, about entrepreneur, building a business, yet the things you were doing, the passion you're doing to push yourself, right, to to read the books, to go to the class, to, um, I guess, fight back to kind of what your parents were doing. There is, it sounds like there's some kind of big why in there of why you wanted to grow these ban these plans, grow up. I mean, do you know what that why was? Uh, I mean, when, so my grandmother used to bootleg liquor. Okay. And so, you know, that was one of the few times that, you know, when we were doing stuff like that together, it was just kind of how we bonded. Um, so I think that's kind of where it started. And I think as I got older, uh, you know, it, it just became something that was inherently in me. Just I, I wanted to learn more. I wanted to, to kind of keep growing this and see how far I could take it. I think it was more of that aspect than anything. But I'm not sure if there was a, a moment where it's just like, oh, I got to go work for myself. I think it's just, you know, there's certain people that just don't fit well within corporate cultures, corporate politics. And I found that for myself, I just don't do well in those in those environments just because it's more about the team than my individual uh, success. And that just doesn't work well for me. Did uh, is your, your grandmother still around? Uh, she's not. She's passed uh, for a couple of years now, but, you know, she's still with us in spirit every day. How, what would, do you do you recall kind of what she thought about all the brands that you were building and everything you, you've done or accomplished? Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I would like to think she was proud. I mean, by the time I was kind of at that age, she was kind of a little bit older. Uh, okay. and her mind was, you know, not not as sharp as it was before. But, you know, I, I would like to think she was proud and that, you know, she still uh, enjoys or would enjoy kind of what I'm doing. Uh, I would hope anyway. And then going back to the idea of the rebellion aspect of it, right, that it was a rebellion against your parents. You said your your mom was pretty supportive of it. So it seems like fairly quick they that rebellion aspect of it turned to something that they were fully behind you with. You know, I, I the, the the funny part, Vinny, is that, you know, I closed a half million dollars, a, a half million dollar deal when I was a sophomore in college. And I ended up dropping. I was kind of like my second semester going into my junior semester where, where I eventually dropped out uh, after my junior year. And even then, my mom was like, you, you better finish school. You know, so imagine, you know, being a junior, you know, your company at that time, at, at that year, I think we were projected to do about five million in revenue. But we had already had at least, you know, half a million dollars in revenue at that time. And she's still worried about me going to class every day. So it was like it was like a weird and I support you. But, you know, at the same time, you know. Uh, you, you have to, to continue to stay in school. And I think that's just more of a, a cultural thing for, for minority, minorities, especially African-Americans. You know, it was, it was always back in the day, you know, focus on getting a good job and working for someone instead of working for yourself. And I think over the years, she's become more accepting of me, you know, being an entrepreneur. But it's definitely taken a lot of time and effort uh, in that regard. Well, it's also probably some sort of protection. Right. Like you said, it's a, I mean, a cultural thing. I know in the Hispanic culture, um, it's the same kind of thing. It's like education, education, education. Yet you proved, I guess, that idea um, uh, a little off, I guess. Um, yeah. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think to your point, you know, that that's definitely I should have thought about that too. my my, my co-founders Latino. So we talk about that a lot as well. And I think it's also that, you know, um, 
our cultures aren't really raised in the entrepreneurial realm, but definitely not in the tech space either. You know, so not only am I an entrepreneur, I'm an entrepreneur in the tech space. And, you know, most people don't realize that, you know, if you're waiting to, to launch a product when it's perfect, you've probably missed your window. And we were forced to launch our product, you know, last year before it was ever really ready. And it's still, you know, we're still building it and, and we still get a lot of consumer feedback about what we're doing to improve the product. But um, it's hard because you have an older parent that, you know, they're used to utilizing uh, apps and, and, and company products that have, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of investment capital behind them where they could support, you know, that type of rapid growth, whereas uh, you know, African Americans and Latinos usually receive less than one percent of the overall uh, venture funding that happens in the industry. So we've had wow. to do a lot, a very lot with a with a very minimal shoestring budget, and sometimes that means that you have to sacrifice some things. And uh, I think you know she sees that as like that concern that oh well you know this isn't good <laughs> you know what I mean. But uh, but we've gotten better as we've raised more capital and as we've gotten more industry support. So. With with all your accolades and and kind of building your brand, building your business, um, I would assume it's it's easier to get that that capital, that venture capital. Or um, I would assume it's probably you have kind of a structure in place of how you build a brand. I mean, what have you kind of learned as building these different brands over time? Um, it's not uh, unfortunately, okay. um, and, and it hasn't been. And I think the industry itself both the mortgage space and, and the investment space has to change. And that's kind of, even when you look at the core of what Home Lending Pal is trying to do, it is basing people off of their their merits more so than their appearance, if you will. Um, even with all of my accolades, you know, it took us, uh, I technically started Home Lending Pal in 2017. Uh, and it took us three years just to be able to get the proper access to credit information, which is crazy because it's your data but you know there were so many different red tape red red line items that prevented consumers from seeing data directly by themselves without having to interact with a, a originator or a lender um and that kind of sucks for the consumer because it's like you know you're you're put into to a position to to make the most expensive purchase of your life but everyone around you is kind of incentivized to sell you no one's really there to educate you on anything and i think um being in the in the tech space is very much the same where uh, the, the difference is that, you know, there's a lot of opportunities out there that will provide education for Latinos and African-American founders. There aren't that many outlets out there just yet uh, that were providing actual capital. And, and capital is what we really need. You know, we need the ability to have the resources to build a product that is uh, beautiful and functional. Um, and I think that, you know, the past year has changed that a little bit, but there's still a long way to go in that regard. What I mean, what kind of changes is it just strictly because of, of COVID or what do you think has um, started those changes? Oh, society. Um, I mean, I think COVID has played a, a, a case in it. Um, I think personally, and this is just my personal opinion. I think a lot of the discrimination, the human bias that you see with, you know, George Floyd. And I, I think George Floyd is, is a big case, but there's plenty of other smaller cases that are out there that show you know, discrimination happens against more than just African-American people. It happens against Latinos. It happens against uh, same-sex couples. And I think that what happened with COVID is that for the first time in a long time, it forced us all to sit down, be still, look, and listen. And, you know, when you don't have all of the other distractions of being able to just do whatever you want, you know, it, it creates a, a whole different environment. I think that's really 
I, I wouldn't say nothing changed because I think you and I both know that there's a lot of stuff that happens for minority groups in this country. But I think for the first time ever, we didn't have as many distractions. You know, there was no sports going on. You couldn't travel. You couldn't really leave your home. So for the first time ever, you had to sit in and listen and, and, and watch. Do you, I mean, and, and I, I I totally agree with you. I think there's a, we're judged by, I mean, our coast and we, and I think it's a defense mechanism, uh, more so for a lot of people when they look at how someone's dressed, how someone's looks, color of skin, so on and so forth. Do you think there's been any kind of advantages? I think there is. I, I mean, I mean, people gravitate to your point. It's a defense mechanism. Uh, it's a survival mechanism. You know, people gravitate towards people that look and act like them, you know, um, Naturally, uh, I mean, I do speak a little Spanish, but I'm sure that if Stephen was on the line and we were all in a room and you guys got into a Spanish speaking conversation, uh, you would gravitate towards Stephen because he's fluent and I'm I'm what I am with Spanish. Yeah. But, but I, I think that because of that, um, while we saw all the negatives last year, I think this year we're seeing more of the positives where you're seeing more people are trying to do more to try to create equal access for all. And some of that is good, some of it's bad. But I do think that people are at least in the right mind that, hey, we are in a, an economy and in an environment that is not equal for everyone and it should be equal for everyone. And I think that benefits, you know, especially causes like what we're trying to do uh, a lot more uh, because of it. Makes sense. I mean, it, let's say we're talking in, in five years from now and you've already built what you say, six companies that you exit out of. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So in five years from now, are we talking about another another two or, or are we looking? Uh, you know, I, I don't really have plans on, I mean, of course, you know, if an exit opportunity comes, we'll, we'll explore that and it, it'll have to make the most sense. I think with, with what we're doing, this is such a borrower centric, such a, a people first option that any acquisition offers would, would have to highly be focused on ensuring that consumers are, are taken care of or, or are protected in this matter. Um, you know, we've had investment offers from, you know, Wells Fargo, they have a big startup accelerator where they give you a million dollars and we turned it down twice, you know, because it just wasn't the right fit at that time. So I don't think what we're doing is solely driven by money, even though, you know, we want to be, I want to be the first African-American to build a FinTech unicorn. Uh, I think Steven would be like the sixth Latino to do it. Um, but we also want to help a million people get into home. So I think that aspect of really changing it and making where we're closing that home ownership gap. We're giving people a, a more fair chance at becoming a homeowner. It's more of kind of what drives us more so than, oh, we're trying to build this to get acquired. Because I, I feel like if you do it right anyway, uh, you'll either get acquired or you'll get to an IPO. I mean, ideally, I would like to get to an IPO, continue to run the company until it just no longer makes sense for me to be in the decision-making power or CEO position for this company. And then what about yourself? I know the, the brand right there, growing that, helping out borrowers, I mean, for yourself, is there growth that you, you look for in the next five years? Yeah, I think one of the things I really want to do back. So we have a program with the company that we call our, our give back, which is basically two percent of all of our revenues will go back towards our community. So helping minorities get into homes, helping minorities learn about STEM projects. But I also think that there's going to be and that's just what's personal to me. I mean, that the two percent isn't just for minorities, it's for any social cause that any of our employees believe in. Uh, but for me personally, I, I want to get more into philanthropy, uh, doing more to help people that look like me either get into this space or find ways to generate wealth uh, through the uh, acquisition of a home uh, in different areas that I've lived, whether it's Fayetteville, Orlando or Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. So that's my personal goal is to do more of that, do more mentoring and volunteering and uh, philanthropy work. But 
you know, we'll see. No, make, it makes sense. I mean, you you talk about the idea of some of kind of like the the struggles you kind of work through more so on getting the venture capitalist. I mean, what other um, items or what kind of adversity do you feel, maybe not just for yourself, but for any kind of startup um, they have to go through to kind of building a brand? What, what do you think is one of the difficult things? Being able to clearly articulate what you're trying to do. You know, um, most of us have great ideas and our communication skills aren't up to par, you know? So I would mm -hmm. definitely suggest someone to to go take public speaking classes and learn how to to engage an audience. You know, so much of selling a product and selling a vision is being able to sell yourself first. Um, and the, the hardest part of that, you know, if you could have the best product in the world, the best idea in the world, but if you can't get anyone or convince anyone to come work with you, it really doesn't mean much. And so I guess the, the first part that a lot of people forget about is the ability to communicate in a very simple, easy to digest format, you know, what you're trying to do. Even when you look at Home Lending Pal, you know, you and I got on right before we started the interview and I was like, oh, well, you know, we're just trying to collect, validate and then hide PII information until after the lending decision is made. I get it now. You know what I mean? So that ability to clearly articulate your message is really one of the most critical aspects that a lot of entrepreneurs forget about. So that short synopsis that you just gave right there for, for your company right now, do you think if we did a, a, a fire round of the last six companies that you built and exited out of, you could do fairly quick? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, well, this is probably the most complex company I've had, but yes, I could. Um, but I think, you know, especially in the tech space, when you're when you're building a new product, most people always want to gravitate towards this is like a like even I said, I, I tend to do it sometimes. Oh, we're trying to build like an Amazon like shopping experience for mm -hmm. buying a home, which is great. But the thing about that is that now you have that person thinking about some other product, not your product, especially if it's something that's never been done before. So you have to find a way to articulate what you're doing without comparing it to anyone else, because there's nothing like you. If there's truly nothing like you, you don't have anyone to compare it to anyway. Um, and so I think that to your point, I, I could do it for all, all of the companies that I've done before, but I will say that I've gotten a lot better with doing it for this company by not trying to compare this company to anything else that's on the market. You know, Home Lending Pal is what Home Lending Pal is, and this is why we are doing it and how we are doing it. And then at the very end, if they're still not getting it, oh, and by the way, we're trying to create, uh, trying to make something as complex as buying at home an Amazon-like shopping experience. You know, they, they investors get that, they relate to that very well. So kind of a last resort in essence. Like a last resort. It's like, you know, this is the, the last resort and I'm trying to avoid it at all costs, but if I have to, I will, but you know, I try to avoid it as much as I can. And, and it, it depends, you know, some investors are, you know, you, you also have to think that uh, as you're pitching, you really only have, even if the investor gives you a 10 minute pitch, you really only have a minute or two to really grab their attention. You know, mm -hmm. so oftentimes I will say what we're doing in the very first slide. And then if I feel like I, I haven't, completely encapsulated that investor or intrigued that investor where they're giving us their full attention, then I'll say, oh, well, this is like an Amazon for for, for mortgages. And at that point, it makes sense. It, got, it brings the investor back in and then you're able to go into to specific features that make it like an Amazon. Like for us, like, you know, we're telling you your approval likelihood with different lenders. We are uh, estimating your expected time to close. We're finding uh, your best loan product with different lenders that you're qualified to work with. And oh, by the way, we're actually finding the lenders that you're qualified to work with. So you don't have to go do the legwork yourself, just like 
with Amazon, you know, it finds products that you want without, without you having to do the work. So I think, you know, as a entrepreneur, you have to get very good at being able to tell the benefits of the product without solely describing features of the product, which is a very hard thing to do, even though it sounds very simple. Makes sense. I mean, if someone's listening right now, let's say they're either a consumer that's looking to see what's possible, um, or if they're a lender that's looking to get on your platform or be part of your platform, what's the, the best way of them reaching out or finding more information about this? Yeah. Um, I mean, for lenders, we have our sales at home lendingpal.com. Uh, it literally only takes about uh, two weeks for you to get set up and start utilizing, leveraging the system. Uh, and then for borrowers, if you go to login.homelendingpal.com, uh, you can have a, a complete profile and account created within 10 minutes now. Um, and your data is fully protected and secured uh, through our backing with IBM. Uh, and you're also seeing more of what the lenders see because we are now strategically partnered with Experian and FICO. So you're seeing the exact data that lenders are seeing to make the determination if they would give you a loan or not. If I'm going to finish it off with, with this question right here. If someone's listening right now, maybe they're a young kid, someone that's getting swayed into go to college, but maybe college doesn't grab their attention. They want to be an entrepreneur. They've heard your story. They want to kind of follow your journey. I mean, what kind of advice would you give that kid? Um, I mean, definitely go to school, uh, get get an education. There, there's multiple ways to be, be educated and to find success. So don't think that college automatically means that you're going to be successful. Um, I would say that, you know, if you're going to go to school, go there with the intent to, to build your knowledge, but also to build your network. Because a lot of success in anything you do is not necessarily who you are or who you know, it's, it's who knows you. Um, and so you, you want to make sure that people know who you are and what you're capable of. Um, I would say that spend time, you know, in school, you got to think about it. You go to, like, to a school like North Carolina State. You know, when you graduate, you have 20,000 other people that are graduating with you. So what make, and that's just that one school. That's not even across the country. That's literally just that one school. So, you know, what makes you different? And what will make you different is by putting in the hours after where, where you're not in class, you know, going to that networking function or the business school has a, an after hours function going to that. If there's an entrepreneurship program, uh, you know, being involved in that entrepreneurship program, going out, meeting the alumni, uh, pitching at pitch competitions, you know, stuff like that is what really makes you stand out. Um, both from a personal and a business standpoint, not just going to class and doing the work because as much as I hate to say it, doing the work isn't enough these days. You have to go above and beyond if you really want to, to be the best and to, to find success. Well, well, thank you. Thank you for being here. Hopefully everyone listening got some uh, great information from Brian. Uh, please subscribe. Please share. Uh, follow Brian's journey. And you know, I know for myself, I'm going to be looking into this platform right here because I think it's a great idea. I think there's there's so much information out there, but sometimes it can be false information to get you swayed there. But by having a pal, having a buddy, you know, on your side, it, it can make a world of difference. Thanks, yeah. Brian. Thank you. Thank you. And please sign up, continue signing up. We have a lot of interest from government agencies and what we're trying to do. Uh, we have a lot of red tape that we're trying to cross, but consumers continuing to voice their concerns, uh, give us feedback into what we're doing and also help guide our product roadmap is the best way to allow systemic change to happen. So we truly appreciate all of you. And thank you, Vinny, for, for having me today. Yeah. And just one last thing is if I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. We all have a dream. If it's home ownership, if it's building a business, whatever it is, there's tools out there. Just find the trusted source uh, for you.
Thank you guys. Please subscribe. Please share. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.